You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power helping me out. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, horsepower, torque, electrical emissions, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. We've got uh, John today, and maybe we might even have a treat for you. We might have Pete today. So let's see who's on the other end of the line. Hey, guys, welcome. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? Oh, we there. do have Pete. There's your treat. We got Pete. That's right. Yep. Good. That's exciting. <laughs> So uh, what's cool. new Good and to be exciting here, Kevin. over there today? Um, I don't know. Anything interesting, Pete, you want to talk about? Finally got our injector machine fixed. We could flow uh, Cummins PT injectors again. So that was, a, that, that was a work in progress over the last year and a half. So that thing is finally up and running. Oh, good. Uh, that's the biggest, biggest news I've got on this end. Got it. Yeah, nothing too exciting. No. All right, just... Uh... Nope, um, let's see, what else? I was off to the, uh, last Friday I was over at the PRI show in Indianapolis and met up with the uh, with the EasyLink people about doing the uh, the, the new product for the, the modern trucks with the uh, full telematics. Uh, we'll be able to, you know, look at data and uh, upload and download uh, calibrations for computers uh, via a cloud-based service that they offer. Uh, we're going to start with Cummins. So we've got some uh, modern Cummins tuning we're going to be doing via that thing as well as data analysis. And it will also work as an ELD. They've done all their registration with the FMCA and everything they need to do on their end for uh, ELDs. So this same unit will work as an ELD as well. So uh, look for that in the near future. I'm hoping by uh, at least have the prototype up and running and uh, and working by the time we get to to March at uh, Louisville. So that's, uh, that's my goal. That Got was the reason for the trip out there. Got it. Interesting. You know, John, you and I read a lot of the same publications. We follow a lot of the same news. It, it, everything in, in vehicles right now is all technology. It's all, you know, we have electrical that's right on the verge. We have autonomous going on, a lot of technology. And, of course, the big news in trucking is the ELD. And, boy, talk about a very divisive topic. You know, we have some people, honestly, the tide has shifted. You know, a couple of years ago, it was hard to find anybody that would actually stand up and say, sure, I'd love to have an ELD, unless you talk to people who were using them. I was shocked when I started talking to people who were using ELDs years ago. Many of them would say, look, I hated when they told me we were doing this. I didn't want to do it. Now that I use it, I actually like it. I heard that a lot. I was shocked. Well, now that we're this close. I get that. Go ahead. Yep. I get that here, too. I mean, I don't want to say it's 50-50. The ones who don't like are the ones who don't have it yet. 
you know, and, exactly. and nobody likes being told what to do. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's natural human instinct is like, you know, damn government's not gonna tell me what to do. <laughs> right. I'll drive an old truck forever. Yes. So it's, it's, uh, but the ones who have just done it are mm. fine. You know, they, Hey, no more paperwork. I don't have to do all that, uh, you know, miles and States crap for if that's all done, right. you know, there's nothing to worry about. And then the insights that I, were provided to me this weekend from uh, the guys at easy link, they know very little. So those that are paranoid, uh, all it knows is if the truck's moving or not, you know, that's basically yeah. it. That's the only info they had to give it. Uh, and some other, you know, other than paperwork on their end to make it into an ELD. So, you know, it doesn't know anything about your engine. It doesn't know if uh, any kind of work's been done to it. nothing. It knows nothing that's been done. Right. All it knows is if right. the truck's moving or not. Which, it's really that simple. Which is what makes me wonder, and, and I'm warning people about this because there are people that are going out and selling perfectly good trucks to buy pre-99 trucks just to get away from this. And, and you know, anytime we buy, sell, trade, we lose money. I mean, there's no way to come out good on this. You, you sell at wholesale, you buy at retail. You, you get screwed. Um, and what I'm warning people about, I don't know why that 99 exemption even exists. We could put an ELD on a mechanical engine. We don't need any data from the oh, truck. All we need is GPS. And that's everywhere now. Yeah, just use GPS, yeah. Right. Yep. That, that's yep. so dirt cheap. Uh, evidently, everywhere. there are apps on your phone that could be an ELD. I mean, Correct. there are there are literally apps yeah. you know, that, that still needs a 1939 connection, but you don't need much. Uh, it doesn't need much at all. Like I said, all it knows is if the truck's moving or not, which I, I found was interesting. You know, I thought yep. that, that was an interesting uh, part of it. So, But... Uh, yeah, that whole ninety nine, that old that whole old truck thing just drives me crazy. I, I hope I don't offend anybody with this, but do you really want a truck with the door panels falling apart and the uh, all the vents in the dashboard yeah. rattling and all the? I mean, I could hear this. Oh, it's got a new engine in it. I'm like, so what? It, yeah. it, you're still, you know, you still got worn out uh, hinges and, and what about rear ends and transmissions and you know, it's just, it's you know, okay, so you could change all that stuff. At which point you spent more money than you would on a new truck. Just for it it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. And then you still have all the little stuff that you didn't change. You still have that wiring harness that's been rubbing on things for, for you know, twenty five years now. And yeah, you know, it's just it's just crazy that, that that whole philosophy drives me nuts. And then all they talk about is the engine. Oh, but the engine's new. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> well, and the thing is, you know, you know, you get trucks in there that are old that are, the the guys owned it from day one. It's still really nice, and and he just always wanted to keep the truck. You know, there's an argument to be made about cost there. That you know, you make a lot of money. That's a that whole truck. different story. Exactly. That, Right. That's different than buying someone's old 1999 truck. That's exactly. a whole different story. That, you got someone who took care of one forever. That's a beautiful thing. We and we see a lot of those here. We do. And, and you uh, you know, generally it's the old, you know, the old Pete's or whatever that yeah. are just spotless, and there's no reason to ever get rid of that truck. That's that's another story. But to seek out right. a truck that you don't know the history of that you didn't <laughs> right. own that's you know now 28 years old. Yeah. That does not make sense at all. And, no, that makes no sense at all to me. And knowing the government and how they tend to screw a lot of things up, I would not be surprised if after this goes into effect, somebody, the light bulb goes off, and somebody in, in the FMCSA or somewhere else in the government says, hey, wait a minute, what was the point of the exemption? This makes no sense. We could easily, why have these two classes of trucks running around, one exempt and one not? There's no reason for this. So, and the government can change their yeah. mind any time. So I would be very, very careful. If you already own a 99 truck, an older or a glider, well, great. 
maybe you'll be exempt for a while, but I would not go out and buy one just for this exemption. Yeah. Well, I think there's even trucking companies that are requiring it. There are. So it's not even yeah. right. You know, if you're driving for someone, they want them on there. Well, and there's so a good reason. It doesn't reason. matter what you're driving, they, they simply want them. There's a good reason for that. The, if you're leased to a fleet, the fleet is responsible for the hours of service compliance. So they have whole departments that you submit your logbook to the fleet. The compliance department goes through it to make sure there are no mistakes. And if there are, they try to fix them if they can so that they don't get dinged on an audit. And they don't want to keep that department anymore. They want to get rid of that because that's what ELDs do for the fleet. There, there's no more log auditing because it's all done electronically. So that's why the fleets are saying, hey, look, everybody in our fleet's going to ELD because we don't want two systems to deal with. So it's uh, here's the interesting thing, John. You were just talking about the telematics, which have been around for a very long time. I mean, I, I, it seems to me like the first one I remember was GM's, GM's OnStar, which has been around a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all of that technology is getting more and more sophisticated. Not only are trucks and vehicles talking to the cloud, vehicles are going to start talking to each other. Vehicles are going to start talking to the road, to sensors in the pavement. That is coming. There's no way around it. And yes, once we connect vehicles to the cloud, they could be hacked, especially as we start to put in more and more of these safety features, automatic braking, lane departure. Um, I haven't bought a new vehicle in, in quite some time, so I was just out shopping, um, looking around at a couple different things. Everybody in 17 went to all of these safety systems. They are standard on so many vehicles now, and yet the the anti-ELD people are freaking out that, oh, my God, with an ELD, they're going to hack my truck and cause mayhem. And the ELD is a passive device. Even if they can hack it, what are they going to do? Put you out of service? Change your duty status? That's the worst they they can do. Yeah. They can't touch the truck through that. There's nothing they can control through that ELD other than your logbook, your record of duty. Big deal. Why would anybody bother? Because hacking into this stuff is not child's play. You know, you're probably going to take a thousand Russians sitting in a basement somewhere for months to figure out how to hack into this stuff. They're not going to do it to change your logbook. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff from Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Pete with me from Pittsburgh Power helping out. We're going to get to your calls in just a little bit. So, you know, one more thing on the whole hacking issue. Clearly, it could be done. They've shown some demonstrations. They can hack into a vehicle, turn it off, you know, some weird stuff. That's the world we live in. We're not going to stop that. But, you know, I think back, I was really early into the whole computer thing. I mean, way back in the mid-80s, I was already starting with computers. I built a couple. So I was on PCs for about 18 years, lots of experience with Windows and PCs. And all I remember 
was all of the damn security software. You know, constantly updating against viruses. It would always block you from doing something else. It was nonstop. When I switched to Mac and I was setting up my computer the first time, I'm like looking around trying to find security software, thinking I needed it. And people laughed at me. They're like, you have a Mac. You don't need to. And, and, but people back then were saying, oh, well, the only reason they haven't hacked a Mac is because there aren't enough of them to worry about. You just wait, it'll come. Well, here we are, um, almost 20 years later, I still run no security software on any of my Macs. It's not to say they couldn't be hacked, but obviously there's a reason they really haven't been yet. I mean, there's no real virus threat on a, on a Mac Nobody I know runs any kind of antivirus software on Macs. It's either too difficult, it's too time-consuming, there's just you know not enough money in it, which I think is going to be the biggest thing about all of this you know autonomous technology and connectivity and vehicles. It's not to say it can't be done, but it hasn't really been done yet, it, and you know, it's part of the world we live in. It could be a threat, and and we'll just have to keep you know figuring out ways to block it. Well, there's no there's no financial upside for somebody to do it. You'd mentioned you know a hundred Russian hackers in the basement. Well, what's their what's their what would they get from it? <laughs> right. You know what's what does anyone have to hide? Like why would they get put forth the effort to hack your truck? You like your self importance must be really up there. You know you must think you're really special for someone to really want to hack into your truck. Why would they? Right. What's what's anyone have to gain? Right. It's not it's not going to get them access to your bank account or anything. It's just going to you know so. So there's no reason to put forth an effort to do that. So that's why, uh, you know, there's really nothing to worry about there. That doesn't, uh, you know, I don't know why that would bother anybody. Well, you know, they, they talk about, well, what about a terrorist? You know, they'll take control of the vehicle and kill people. Well, why when all they have to do is walk into the subway with a pipe bomb strapped to their chest, which takes very little money, very little effort, and it's very effective. Why would they go through the trouble yeah, yep. of, of tr- all? I mean, I yeah, don't they, think people get how complicated it would be to hack a vehicle and take control of it. Yeah, that would be really complicated. And again, you wouldn't. That would the, the the return on their investment there wouldn't be worthwhile either. Yeah, that just just wouldn't. All right, so uh, you know one so of the interesting. One of the things I've been uh, seeing a lot of lately, something that you talk about, the electrification, even not a true electric truck, but axle technology and regenerative braking and some of those things. A lot of news about that. A lot of money being invested into electrification of all kinds on vehicles right now. I, I stick by my uh, the hybrid uh, philosophy first. I mean, as much as the you know everything turns me on with the electric itself, uh, I would just put on to another company called Axle Tech that uh, is part of U.S. Gear, which is actually owned by General Dynamics, which is building an electric truck axle right now. So there's another one out there, and it's it's and it's a, and it's a it's a big player. So there's uh, there'll be electrification really soon. I mean, you're going to have it, or it's going to be commonplace really soon. It, you could have it now if you want it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a really big deal. Yeah. There's so many, I forgot. I think it was, um, Eaton or one of the big, uh, truck 
OEMs just bought a company and invested a ton of money into the same kind of thing, just just electric axle technology, which I think you're right. I think that's what's coming first. It makes sense. You know, we're not trying to build a whole new truck, change everything. I think we're going to ease into this, you know, other than the Nikola and the Tesla, who knows what's going to happen with those. But I think you're like, you're right. We're, we're right. Well, see. Mercedes will be there. Yeah. 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 So. So, you know, especially with the uh, you've you've commented on this for other purposes, but with the uh, the six by two being so so commonplace now, I mean, you could buy a truck that's ready to have that electric axle installed onto the back right from the right from the factory. Absolutely. Or they'll start installing them at the factory. So you just have that uh, second axle there to help out and to generate, uh, you know, some electricity going down the hills. That's a that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that's exciting. I mean, that that's um, that could be a big thing. And it's uh, certainly, you know, that that leaves the owner operator right in the market. You know, we're not talking about needing a two hundred thousand dollar truck. You know, we could do some axles, you know, the uh, Hyleron and, and did I say that right? Is that what it is? Hylion. Yep. Hylion, yep. yeah. Um, Hylion. Yeah, that, that's yep. well within the reach of an owner-operator with a, with a really quick return on investment, possibly. So I'm excited about that. I'm not sure why we get pushback um, on the whole electrical thing. I get the autonomous thing, but I'm not sure why we get so much pushback on the electrical. I'm excited about some of that uh, inefficiencies and cost. And here's the thing. When I see this kind of technology... I think it, it puts the owner-operator in a better position. You're not going to see fleets. You'll see some of it, but you're not going to see widespread adoption. You're not going to see fleets go out and buy, you know, 500 of these things to put on their tractors. There's way too much risk for them. So I think, you know, anytime this new technology starts to make it into the market, I believe it, it favors the little guy, not the big guy. Well, just because they can maneuver faster, right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we've got guys here who could benefit from that immediately. You know, if, if we were to it, try to work out a deal to get one of those axles under Steve's truck, who's already getting nearly 11 miles per gallon, um, you know, that's that's a big jump. I mean, he's going to go he's going to go right to, you know, probably 13, somewhere somewhere between 13 and 15, I got to yeah. believe. So that would uh, that'll that'll help him to make some money. So that would be a, that would be a big deal, you know. So yeah, the guys can maneuver quicker; they could get things done quicker than the big fleets can. So that could could give you an edge. Absolutely. Um, I know people hate this topic, but uh, a lot of money going into autonomous. What did, did uh, I, in so many articles? I get them all confused. Didn't you just send me one where uh, Ford invested a billion dollars into a little company there in Pittsburgh? A billion dollars into a little Pittsburgh company. Yeah, called Argo AI. It was started by uh, actually a pit engineer, but it's uh, it's mostly populated by CMU engineers right now. But yeah, so Argo and and from I hear rumors from people in real estate business in town that Ford bought a huge huge hunk of land, uh, some old some old brownfield site uh, near the Strip District here in Pittsburgh uh, for for their work with Argo and their their autonomous lab. So yeah, it's crazy. It's happening right in our backyard. I mean, it's maybe I'm a little more attached to it because of that. Uh, but yeah, so that that article on Argo was pretty amazing. But yeah, billion dollars. Yeah, so, so not just throwing around millions anymore. It's billions. You know, as, as much as people freak out when I talk about this, and and as much as they you know just go nuts on Facebook, you and I talk about this a lot. But my point has always been: 
it's coming. You can't change that. So get out ahead of the curve and figure out how we're going to take advantage of this. And and here's one way I'm already starting to see. And I, I see other owner operators thinking this way, which I love. Right now, there is freight everywhere. Rates are going through the roof. Things are looking good. Now, clearly, we're not there yet, but these are the kind of opportunities you have to look for. There's lots of freight. That should be, you know, great news for every owner-operator on the, on the face of the country. But there's another problem. You can only drive so many hours yourself, and, and ELDs are going to shrink that down mm-hmm. a little bit as well. And drivers are next to impossible to find these days, and it's going to get worse. Good drivers are really hard to find. So how do you take advantage of this fact that there's freight everywhere, rates are great, but you're limited? That you have a, a limited income potential because of the hours. Well, I saw one guy, and this is exactly how people should be thinking. He said, look, I wish right now that I could buy two, two vehicles that would platoon, and I could get in my truck on the East Coast and make it to the West Coast with two more truckloads behind me and no drivers. I mean, we're not there, but that's the way people need to be thinking. Well, and that could be one way that it phases in as well. Right. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. The platooning technology, after the conversation I had with my friend at Packar about that, just just blows me away the way the, talks, the trucks talk to each other and they work together. And, you know, all the deals around that that are going to have to be made just, just blew me away. Like, I, I, I didn't think of any of that. Uh, so, but there there's opportunity there. You're absolutely right. So, you know, one driver could be driving two trucks. Like, that could be a, you know, like phase one of it. Exactly. Yeah, and, and now all of a sudden we have an owner-operator who could potentially double his revenue without the problems of needing another driver. Because <clears throat> whether you want them, need them, they're becoming very, very rare to find good drivers today. And if the drivers are that good, they're probably going to go buy their own truck and become an owner-operator because there's so much potential. So, all right. We're going to come right back and get to your calls and questions right after this break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. John and Pete are helping me out from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to get to your calls and questions. We're going to start off in Arizona. Patrick, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Here's John. How are you guys doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. How are Fine. you? Well, I should have an oil sample for you, Kevin. I've got it here in front of me. And. All right. First. Go ahead. First of all, I'd like like to say that um, the reason the silicon is just a little high is because right after the oil was uh, put in, it was actually taken out again, and I had uh, put uh, had a. Uh, Main uh, uh, rear main seal and oil pan gasket uh, reinstalled. Okay. So, so that's going to be why the full console is high. Yep, that'll do it. Now, the other thing that's more concerning is the sodium and potassium aren't out of control, but they certainly are climbing. Um, during all that, did we? Uh, or, or, this probably isn't even enough that you're losing coolant yet, but we're getting some coolant in the oil somewhere. Patrick? Oh, I'm sorry, you cut out there for a second. Yeah, I'm here. 
Oh, okay. What was the last thing you said, Kevin? Well, it, it, we're getting some coolant in the oil from somewhere. Not a lot. It's only a little bit right yeah. now, but but it's climbing. Yes, I'm worried I may have another injector cup go here soon. Uh, Cummins. What engine is it? N14. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, they can do that. Um, how many miles are on those cylinder heads? Um, shoot. Um, one of them is the Cummins Reman, and the other two are quite old, I'm sure. I'm sure. As you can see, it's got 931,000 on a on a uh, crank-only out-of-frame rebuild. Okay. Now, are you using green antifreeze or red? Red. Okay. I was going to say, if you're using green, make sure you treat it with the DCA, and that'll help the injector tube some as well. Okay. If you're using red, you're okay. Um, another thing that's prone to affecting the um, cups would be if you ever overheat the engine. Have you overheated it recently? Uh, let's see. Um, no extreme overheat. Um, of course, it'll warm up pretty good, especially on a hard pull on a hot day. How hot will it get? Well, see, here's the thing. My gauge, I'm certain, is not showing quite right because the high water temperature warning buzzer will come on before my gauge reaches 210. Okay. You want to get that checked out. Um, but unfortunately, to check for the um, tubes leaking is pretty easy. I mean, you simply pull the injectors out and pressure test it. Uh, put some pressure on the radiator, and you can see if they're leaking or not. Okay. So it's All right. relatively, you know, easier to find it on this engine than some of the other engines. All right. I, I would get that now, gauge straightened out because that's pretty critical if it is running hot and you're not seeing it on your gauge. Yeah. Now, I do have one other question for Kevin about uh, fuel mileage testing, if you have time. Sure, go ahead. Well, I, I don't think that a 30-day average is uh, the right thing to do in my operation because, of course, I do agricultural stuff, and depending on the season, we run different lanes. So I might be running out of uh, Tulsa, which is in a hole, and bringing it up to higher elevations. Um, for 30, 60 days, and then running a different lane for some other time. But now I'm coming up on what I hope is going to be a little piece of dedicated run where I'm just going to do two runs a week. Okay. Same lane, same same weight, same route, everything. Got it. Okay. So so I'm wondering if uh, you think it'd be a good idea to maybe do, say, two runs for one week, usually fueling up after each run, and then test the different speeds, um, you know, 75 miles an hour, 70, 67, and then all the way down to 57 miles an hour because I've tried pulling down so far, and it really doesn't seem to have the uh, that whole um, one-tenth per mile an hour um, of reduced speed. Um, I've slowed down 67 so far, and I'm still working on a 30-day average, so I don't want to say too much, but it seems like it, it, it might be doing, well, it's, Certainly not as much as uh, it's supposed to. Well, keep in mind um, that any time I put out a number like that, it's an average. 
And there are so many factors and variables in fuel mileage testing. You know, that one mile per hour, one-tenth of a gallon is kind of an average across the board, and it's between roughly 55 and 75. If we go faster than that, that number would change even more because that curve is exponential. But it's kind of a good guideline. We're pretty close most of the time. Um, if you're, if you're nowhere near that, like, let's say somebody were to slow down 10 miles an hour and literally only pick up two tenths of a mile per gallon, something's wrong. Either our testing is just really screwed up or we have a mechanical problem with the truck, even gearing. I mean, gearing can affect that a little bit, but not that much. The, one of the things people don't realize is real true fuel mileage testing with one truck is outrageously difficult to get any kind of accurate information. I, I had the perfect setup for, you know, two decades for doing fuel mileage testing. I had two and three trucks running in the same lane every day, same drivers. The weather didn't even change much because it was Florida and Georgia. I was able to not only test a truck very consistently, I was able to put a control truck into the mix. So if you understand testing, we test one truck, we use the other truck as a control. We don't change anything on the second truck because sometimes... I would test something, my test truck would show, you know, three-tenths of a mile per gallon improvement over the 60 or 90 days, but so did the control truck. So that tells you, hey, wait a minute, something changed in the entire environment that may have had nothing to do with the product you're testing. So it's really, really difficult. I encourage people, test all you want, keep all the records, you're going to learn something. Um, the other thing I would say is if, if you don't have a scan gauge, I'd get one in because that's instant feedback that, that gives us a lot, you know, more. The fuel mileage isn't going to be completely accurate, but the changes are instant. We're not waiting to fill up again to check our numbers. And, and in that fill up time, a lot of other things could have changed. Okay. See, the reason I haven't gotten the scan gauge is because I'll impulsively try and try different things and, once again, you know, try and maximize fuel economy. I'm just trying to do the speed only because there's a lot of people that say 70 is the most efficient speed. And well, hold no, on. Hold, I really hold don't on. think so, so I'm hold, trying to prove. Hold on. Not I don't think so. Absolutely 100% incorrect. I'm sure John will jump in here. One of the tests that I saw on fuel economy yeah, that's, 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 they did in Europe <laughs> And they did the test at 37 miles an hour. And they had Class 8 trucks at 90,000 pounds getting 13 miles to the gallon because they did the test at 37 miles an hour. It's physics. The faster you go, the more fuel you have to burn to do it. Oh, and I I totally agree. But that's that's exactly why I'm trying to... To prove this to the people who think no, that's totally not true. So, what do you think of my idea of the two? Uh, yeah, kind of, uh, yeah, two runs. Absolutely. You know the okay. the yeah, awesome. and, now, and but again, the scan gauge is, is pretty instant verification. You know, you get on a nice straight level, run seventy miles an hour for say ten minutes, even 
you get a, a, a number from the ski engage. The next 10 minutes, slow down to 55 and watch what happens. It's instant feedback. Yes, I'll have to be getting that soon. Uh, um, one last little thing. From what you do see on the, on the sample, other than the, uh, the coolant, you, would you think this engine may, uh, may last another 100,000, 200,000 miles? I don't see any reason why it wouldn't from the data I have here. Now, that's not everything we need to know about how long an engine's going to last, but everything on this sample I can explain. Yeah. Your base is dropping, your oxidation is going up. That's a factor in the new oils. Very, very common. We're seeing it across the board. Your wear metals went up, but that's because of the coolant in the oil. The coolant, what oil are you using, by the way? Rotella, okay. the uh, 1540, of course. And, Good. Um, but I did change because I was seeing a little bit of low oil pressure, and I switched over to actually John Deere oil, their 1540. And it seems to have made a, a small difference, but I, it's not as significant enough to make it worth it. Yeah, and I don't know anything about John Deere oil, but the Rotella has a lot of zinc. So when you have a coolant leak, it's kind of nice to have Rotella in there because you're... The, the zinc's getting stripped out. We're starting to see some wear metals already with that coolant. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. John and Pete are with me here today. Um, John, Pete, I don't know anything about John Deere oil, but my guess is it's probably somebody else's oil anyway, just relabeled funny during during the break i was i was i was looking that up on my phone so as soon as i find that info i'll let you know okay <laughs> um you know when i i did a bunch of research so. on coolant and it turns out even though we have 80 like 87 brands of coolant on the market there are only three manufacturers in the country right According to this uh, this person on the internet, and we know that's always true, uh, <laughs> Chevron blends the oil for John Deere to their specifications. That's so what I figured. Chevron product. Yeah. And and actually, it's kind of interesting that it's Chevron because Dello is one of the oils that does not seem to hold up well when you get a coolant leak. I've had a couple, I went back and looked at this and I pulled right. up a bunch of samples. You get a coolant leak with Dello and you immediately start to see wear metals. Right. So it's a very low in zinc then? Not it, much zinc it, in that? it must be. I, I kept meaning to go look up that number, but something, and that would be the most logical thing. Um, but something about the Dello, you know, Rotella, it takes a while. The coolant builds up to pretty high levels. Then we start to see wear metals. The Dello, it's almost like instant. And that's what he's got going on here. We have very little coolant, but all of his wear metals jumped up right away. That would do it. All right. Let's, uh, let's head off to Wisconsin. Scott, welcome to the program. <laughs> Hey guys, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Well, earlier this spring, my company bought three new Cascadia trucks with the auto shift uh, 12 speeds in them. And on all three trucks, the auto manual slash performance shifting button doesn't work. And at first it was just an annoyance that they wanted to, you know, just stay in economy mode all the time. 
But after a bunch of erroneous shifting uh, during an ice storm recently up here that you know, almost put me in a ditch, I'm wanting to see if I can get that taken care of and you know what I need to be talking to my bosses about. So I'm just wondering if you have any idea if this is uh, just a simple ECM option or if there may actually be a problem that needs to be diagnosed. You know, one of the first things I'd that I'd be came, willing to bet that's a setting in the ECM. I, I was just going to say, I wonder, I, my first thought when you said that is I wonder if that's, if they're able to turn that off and if the fleet actually ordered them that way. So you, the drivers couldn't be messing with it. Uh, that's kind of what I thought. Um, I did talk to them about it, let them know what was happening because, you know, when the, the road was getting icy. I'm trying to keep a, a slow and steady speed, but because it's in economy mode, it wanted to keep trying to upshift on me thinking I was accelerating. So I'm constantly having to fight, you know, shifting. It shifts up. Well, I can hit the, the override lever and actually manually downshift it and it'll stay downshifted for a little while. But then eventually it's like, okay, we're, we're going. So we're going to upshift again. And every time it does that, you know, you get the torque changes, they're unexpected, and next thing you know, your tires are spinning and, you know, truck wants to, you know, go sideways on you. So, yeah, it's actually become a, a bit of a safety issue. Yeah, I've got it. That's got to be a setting. I'm sure that they had that locked out or they're trying to go for full economy there without thinking. Okay. Yeah, i I wasn't sure, like, and you know, I figured with you guys from Pittsburgh Power, um, you know, with all the, the computer stuff you guys work on, I wasn't sure if you had actually, you know, seen, you know, that as a setting for sure, or, or if you'd ever, you know, heard of that, you know, happening, you know, even as a, like a wiring problem. Uh, unfortunately, Ian, or Ethan is uh, off ill today, or he'd probably know that answer. He's been all through that software. I, I personally have not looked at all the settings in there, but I'm willing to bet. Uh, maybe we could do a little more research on it. Let you know next week, but uh, I'd be pretty sure that uh, that there's a setting in there. Yeah, the the odds of three out of three trucks acting the same way and it being a problem are pretty slim. Um, so it it sounds to me like it's more of the way they ordered them uh, rather than the other way around. Let's uh, let's see. We're gonna head off to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, John, everybody, Pete. I have two of them today, one oil, one of them oil-related, one of them truck-related. For the oil, you know they've got the new CK. Can't hardly find the CJ4 anymore. This engine, you guys did the M-frame. I have 362,000 miles since the M-frame. I've not put one drop of that oil in yet. Wow. I like to keep it that way, but now I'm hearing this CK oil is low on base, causing oxidation. That's the last thing I need is to hurt my engine because some guru thought to change the oil. Do well, I need the spin-on from Lubrifiner that has base? If so, where do I get it? Well, first, according to the, the, the stuff that I've done the research on right now, nobody's really clear on this yet. It's almost like that, that disappearing base took everybody by surprise, but they seem to be saying it's not a concern, and I don't understand that. It, well, at what point will it become a concern? How low does the base go and then start causing problems? 
And we are starting to see some oxidation, which is another confusing issue. So just to be safe, until we figure this out, I'm telling people, go ahead and throw the Lubrefiner filter on. Um, as far as where you find them, I don't know. Maybe Pete or John can help you with that. It, they're fairly popular. I know a lot of people are using them, but I never asked anybody where they're getting them. Okay, Kevin, I've heard you said maybe the labs will have to readjust and whatnot because of the new oil. That's all fine and dandy, but that doesn't do anything to protect the engine. You know, that's my right, right. question that's... and issue with the whole thing. Well, and that's why I'm saying until we get definitive I... answers, because I, I have I have engines showing up now with base all the way down in the very, very low twos with only 20,000 miles. I mean, that just makes no sense. Um, but we're being told it's not a big deal. We'll adjust. We'll... So I'm saying it, maybe it is a big deal. Let's not take a chance. Throw the filter on with the base because it'll bring the number right back up. Okay. Well, I, trusting an industry is, well, they said EGR wasn't a big deal. We know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. So on the truck itself, when Pittsburgh Power did my end frame and they got all done, immediately after, the electronic oil pressure gauge showed goofy pressure readings compared to what it normally did. Going down the highway, highway speed, 60 mile an hour, it's what I always do. I would always show 50, 51, 52 pounds, always. Uh, after the end frame, it decided that it didn't want to show that anymore. It wanted to show about 30, 32. So I had it back out there for something else for, I believe it was for a, um, overhead and they checked the ECM and it changed something in the ECM to make it read it correctly. And that worked great. But during the beginning stages, I had a mechanical oil pressure gauge put in here because the electrical was scaring me to death. So I got all that done. It read beautiful. It was matching the mechanical, no problem for probably 200,000 miles. Now, all of a sudden, and it seems to do it when I'm pulling a hill for whatever reason, all of a sudden, my little oil can light will come on, engine protect, check engine, like, holy crap, and it buzzes, and I look at the electric fuel gauge, or oil pressure gauge, it's showing 25 to 28 because this cheap Freightliner gauge only says 0, 50, and 100. That's all it says. Then I look over at my mechanical gauge, and I'm still showing 51, 52. I go, okay, this engine's going to turn me off one of these days. Do I maybe just have a bad sensor? And if so, can I change it? Where is it? What do you think? Uh, I'd go for the sensor for sure. That's uh, The sensor's probably seen enough vibrations in its life that it's not uh, not so accurate anymore. Do you have any idea where it is on a 14-liter D-Deck 4? I don't offhand. I wish I did know. Okay. I'm sure Uh, Frank Iron can tell me. Yeah, let me... uh, Yeah, it should be easy to find. Uh, I'm sure if you just Google it, you'll find it. But it's, I believe, somewhere there on the left side of the engine, as I recall. But uh, Is it up high enough, John? Go ahead. Probably in the block, a, in the block down the right oil galley. Yeah, yeah, somewhere on the left side. Somewhere, it's down near the, is it near the ECM somewhere? 
I'd say mid-engine. Mid-engine, yeah, somewhere on that side. Look down under the intake, below the intake manifold into the block. Okay, it, it'll be up high enough I can take it out and not lose the oil out of the pan then. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's it's, on, it's, in, it's in the pressure side, so you'll lose very little. Pan. Yeah, so you'll, you'll lose very little from that sensor. Yep. All right, with that, we've got to wrap it up. We're all out of time. We're going to do it again real soon. We're going to get to a lot of your calls and questions, so we'll see you then. Thanks for joining me. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.